0: Today, we do celebrate the day that life begins. We celebrate the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And one of the things that has been in my heart and my head as we approach this day, to be honest with you, has been I know I keep coming in contact with people, and maybe even you're sitting here today wondering, what's the big deal about Easter? It's amazing to me how some people just just don't understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, it is the day that changed everything. Without the resurrection, nothing else really mattered that he did. Without the resurrection, we would we may still celebrate Christmas cuz we like to give gifts, but it's not really going to amount to a whole lot without the resurrection. It's an amazing amazing thing that happened that changed the entire course of history. And to think that some people just go, I, I really don't understand it or I don't know how to figure it out or I'm not sure if I believe that, I think goes right in line with something that we've been talking about here the last couple of weeks. Um, perhaps you haven't been with us and that's okay. We're, we're glad you're here today. But one of the questions we've been wrestling with is, okay, well, well why did Jesus come and, and die on the cross and what really does that mean? And, and how am I trying to figure this out and what am I doing with it? And one of the things we, we talked about is that there are, there are people who try to either figure this out on their own or there are people who try to figure this out with the help of God. And so really the question that we all have to wrestle with as we approach life is this, will I live life in my power or in God's power? Well, I live life in my power, doing the best that I can, figuring it out on my own? And look, it even looks like this some. There are some people who say, well, I, I'm a good person and, and I'm even a Christian. I'm someone who follows Christ. But then I just kind of ask God to, to bless my life or to you know, meet me on some things and help me. But really what they're trying to do is they're trying to live life on their own power. And, and it falls short when we try to live life on our own power, no matter how good we are. Or there are the people who try to live life in God's power realizing that quite honestly there's nothing that we can do on our own that can impress God or get his attention or earn our salvation. There's There's a scripture that reminds us that once we give our life to Christ that we are crucified with Christ and therefore we no longer live. As a believer I'm crucified with Christ therefore I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And that's the way that this works. And so this is the power that we're talking about. It's the power that can change a life. It's the power that can change the course of history. That's why we come together today and celebrate. But I also understand that for a lot of people it's confusing. It's one of those things you go, I don't know how to figure all this out. And to just demonstrate how difficult this is, I chose a passage in Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bible, you can open it there. If not... The words will be on the screen, or we have some Bibles in the pews in front of you if you want to follow along there. But I want us to look at Luke chapter 24, and this happens, this passage that I'm about to read, it happens on the day of the resurrection. You see, Jesus had 12 disciples, one of them named Judas, betrayed him, and when Judas betrayed him, that's when Jesus went to the cross, was crucified, and was buried, and then... Jesus was resurrected, and that's what we celebrate today. But there was Jesus' 12 disciples, but there were also a group of disciples and followers of Christ that were there with him at the time as well. And I'm so thankful that Luke, if you actually look at the very first of the book of Luke, he says the reason he wrote the book was that he went around, and even though a lot of people were sharing the stories about what Christ had done, he took it upon himself to gain investigate and write down eyewitness accounts of things. So Luke has gone and collected these. It also says at the first of the book of Luke, if you're struggling with really believing that the resurrection could possibly be real, Luke said he did it at such a time when the people who were the eyewitnesses were still alive. So there were plenty of people who could have looked at what Luke had written down and said, no, no, that wasn't right. That didn't happen. That's not true. But yet This gospel has stood the test of time, and it has stood the scrutiny of not just people of that day, but people in our day who continue to try to discover if the resurrection is real. But you know what? It's not just people who don't believe in Christ who struggle with it. Sometimes it's even his own followers, because what we see in this passage is a couple of his disciples who had walked with him and who had seen the events of the weekend that had happened but had heard about his resurrection and didn't really know what to do with it. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It says, now that same day, that same day being resurrection morning, that same day, two of them, two of Jesus' disciples, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. Now that's a a big sentence right there. You, you've probably been on a road trip or maybe a walk or out sometime with your friends or whatever and you're just kind of maybe taking it all in. So here's two guys, they're walking home and they're discussing everything that had taken place from the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem to his betrayal, to his crucifixion. To, they're just discussing everything. And I love what the, next, what the next sentence says. And while they were discussing and arguing, you got those friends, right? Right? I got those too. They're discussing and it turns into a fun discussion. These two guys are arguing. These two followers of Christ are arguing about all the things that they've just seen take place over these past few days. They're having trouble putting this all together in their head. It says, while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And then... He, Jesus, asked them, What's this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. They looked discouraged. Now, imagine that. Here are people who are followers of Christ and they've just seen his crucifixion and his burial. They've heard about his resurrection. They're trying to figure out what does that mean and what do we do with that? But at this point, they're just discouraged. And then can you imagine being this person in history? The one named Cleophas looked at Jesus and said, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that happened here in the last few days? How would you like to be that guy? You look at Jesus and go, do you not know what happened to Jesus? Like, I think I'm pretty familiar with this. But Jesus plays along. He says, what things? He asks them. So they said to them, these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now look at this very carefully, is what I'm about to read, because here's what I'm talking about. I think that we live in a world today where there's a lot of people who are following Jesus, but if we're Jesus is, following our idea of Jesus as opposed to what God's word teaches us about who Jesus is. So I want you to catch this. Jesus asked them, What things are you talking about? So they said the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And that's where they stopped the story. That's where they quit talking about it. They're going, I'm confused as a follower of Christ because I was following him, and and then they crucified him, and then they this here's where you interject. And this disciple says, but we were hoping... But we were hoping, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a second. That's what I'm talking about. There's a lot of people who say, I like the idea of Jesus, the idea of Jesus that fits with the things that I am hoping that he's going to do. And so that's why these disciples of Jesus who had been there following him were walking around discussing and arguing because they were now confused because the true Jesus, the real Jesus of Scripture, all of a sudden was different than their idea of Jesus. And then therefore it brought confusion and argument and dissension in between their midst. And I think that happens to us sometimes. And look, I don't think we're doing it on purpose. I don't think we do it with malicious intent. Let's just be honest. We all have wants and needs and desires and things that we hope and pray that God would do in our lives. We have things that we wish would happen in our country and in our nation and for our children and for everyone around us. And we bring those things to the table, sometimes not even realizing it. And we say, God, when you don't do these things, it confuses me about whether you're real or not. It happens to all of us. You catch that? And that's what's happening with these disciples. These people who have walked with him, who have seen him do these miracles, are walking along now confused because they said, but we hoped. But we were hoping that he was the one about to redeem Israel. You see, they were looking for someone to come in and turn the nation around. That's what they were looking for. But Jesus was the different Jesus than what they thought. They go on and say, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And then Jesus, in his love, looks at him and says, how foolish and slow. Thank you, Jesus. How foolish and slow you are. To believe all that the prophets have spoken, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then look at verse 27. It says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I wish I could have attended that Bible study. I'm just like, that's the one Bible study I miss. And I even shared with my my Sunday school class this morning, I'm a little frustrated at Luke because Luke took the time to document all these things and to research. And I'm like, could you have not put a footnote and explain what these men said at this point in time? But what we know is that Jesus looked at these men who were arguing about who he was and he says, well, let me tell you who I am. And beginning with the beginning, he goes and teaches how all of scripture is pointing To him. And that's what we need to understand today. Everything about today is pointing to Jesus Christ. And that is the good news that we can celebrate. You see, we sometimes bring hope. Into our relationship with Christ. Hope that God will do certain things or act certain ways or, or, or bring certain things about. And, and there's nothing wrong with having that type of hope and prayer and bringing those things to Jesus. But what we have to be careful with is this, is that misguided hope will lead me to a misguided life. You see, when, when we when we put our hope in the wrong place and we pursue the things that we're hoping for, if those things aren't squarely in the person and the power of Jesus Christ, we're going to have a misguided life. Whether those are the best intentions in the world or whether those are the worst intentions of the world, it doesn't matter. Misguided hope will lead to a misguided life. These men were saying, we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel. They were misguided in their hope, even though they were followers of Jesus. They were misguided. It led them to frustration and confusion. And therefore, they didn't know how to live out their life. And it was only when Jesus explained to them, this is what all this is about, that they were able to see what was going on. You see... When we have wrong ideas or we bring our own interpretations in of what Jesus is or is about, then sometimes it can confuse us. It can make us misguided. And I'll even say this I know people who are very, very even angry with the church because God didn't do it their way. You ever met that person? Well, I thought being a Christian was going to be like this, or I thought God would do this, or I don't understand why God let this happen in my life, or I don't understand why this had to happen. And, and at times, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart with all love and compassion, not sarcastic or hateful at all. I sometimes want to look at him and I go, Do you realize what he went through? I mean, I mean that's, that's the example. Is that we're talking about the crucified, buried, resurrected Lord and Savior that sometimes we go to and go, I can't believe you. Are making me deal with this. I just want to go, wow. Sometimes we get a misguided hope, which leads to a misguided life, and we miss the real Jesus. You see, the real Jesus is right here in Scripture. It's all about Jesus. Y'all did so much better than the first service. I had to tell them that I said it's all about Jesus, and it was like crickets. And I said, people, it is Easter in a Baptist church, and I just said it's all about Jesus. Y'all got to wake up. Y'all did so good. I'm so proud of y'all. It is. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus is the one who comes alongside these people with misguided hope and in love looks at them and says, let me explain to you why all this had to happen. And let me show you the presence of Jesus starting here and going all the way to here. And he said, let me show you how all this is pointing to me. And, guys, the fact that it's all about Jesus is the greatest news ever. That it's not all about us. You see, here, here's something else that happens. We've, we've asked the question over the last couple of weeks, what do you, how do you respond when people say, well, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? You see, because there's, there's really two responses. And, and listen to me, it's not a right-wrong, I've said that. It's not like we're getting it wrong or we're getting it right. But the way that we answer that question and how we interpret this sometimes leads to whether it's all about Jesus or whether it's all about me. You see, sometimes we answer that question that say, Jesus Christ died on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins, which is true. But do you see how that could, could just kind of turn things to be so it's all about me? Jesus died on the cross for me. As opposed to saying, Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was buried and he was resurrected, and in doing so, he overcame the power of sin and death. And when you just leave it at that statement and let that sink in... Then that should give you the hope and the guidance that there is nothing that our God cannot do. Absolutely nothing that our God cannot do. It's not about you, it's not about what you've done good, it's not about what you've done bad, it's all about Jesus. Oh, it's so good this morning. That was good. All right. And that's why I said, so Jesus had to take these men who were focused on their own thoughts about who Jesus was supposed to be, their own ideas about who Jesus was supposed to be. And again, these are followers of Jesus. But they were saying, we don't know what to do with this. They weren't even sure about the resurrection. Can you imagine following Jesus around for so long, seeing him raise Lazarus from the dead, seeing him turn water into wine, seeing him do miracles and and heal the blind, and then go, yeah, but the line is him healing himself. There's something there that they just said, no, I'm struggling with the fact that even though he said he was gonna rise again, I'm not sure this is true. And so Jesus himself had to show them who he truly was. Can I just tell you something? He has to do the same for us. We have to be honest when we come to Jesus and say, God, I, I need to give myself to you. I need to understand that it's all about you. And we need to understand that in doing so, God's word will guide me to truth, okay? It's God's word that will guide me to the truth. When, when, when you look at God's word and you begin to understand the Jesus that is revealed in this book, that's the true Jesus. And when you have those moments that the, the Jesus that is revealed in this book perhaps is a little different than the Jesus that you had in your mind, let me just tell you what you need to do. You need to let the Jesus that you had in your mind go away And you need to follow the Jesus that's revealed in this book. Because the Jesus that's revealed in this book is the man who overcame the power of sin and death. And he has the power to change your heart and to change your life. And he's already changed the course of human history. And that's the God that I want to follow. You see, Jesus has the power to do it all. That's what we need to understand. Jesus has the power to do it all. Don't be a person that says, well, I I trust God in all these things except Have you thought about that? What's your accept? What's the area or the thought or the place in your life that you're going, God, I don't know why, but I'm just going to keep this one to myself. God, I love you and I trust you and I'll follow you, but I I just need to hold on to this relationship. And if you'll just not deal with me as I deal with this, I'll be fine. God, I believe that you can do anything except help me overcome this addiction. So I'm just going to kind of hold on to my addiction over here. But God, if you'll just help me and bless me in these other things. You see how we kind of do that at times? There's a difference when we think that, that God is here and he forgives us of our sins, which he does. And we think it's about us and then we think that, well, I'm just a sinner and I can't do anything. No, you can have the power of the resurrected Lord abiding in your heart and life. And you can live in such a way that you believe that Jesus can overcome sin and death and there is nothing in this world then that can't be done by him. That's how we're supposed to live. That's why Easter is good news. That's why it's all about this day. And as these men were walking on the road trying to figure it out on their own, what we need to understand is you'll never figure that out on your own. The only way that you can understand and experience the true Jesus that is found in God's word is when you have a relationship with him. If you're trying to study it and figure it out and put it together and put all the pieces together on your own, that is a great exercise for you to be doing, and I think God honors that. But the only way that you're ever going to experience in its fullness is when you give yourself to him. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. That's how we live. Now, this is silly, and I said it in Sunday school, but I'll say it. Again in here, it's, it's kind of like this. This is one of the best illustrations I've ever heard on this. It's, it's kind of silly, but it makes perfect sense. A lot of times when you're trying to explain who Jesus is and what he's done in your life to somebody else, it always seems like we fall short, right? And you can't ever really express all that he's done for you because they can't get it unless they experience it themselves. It's kind of like trying to describe chocolate to someone who's never eaten chocolate. Think about that for a minute. Tell me how chocolate tastes. Chocolatey. You know what I mean? No, no matter how else you describe it, there's no way that you can have somebody get it until they get it. Right? So if you are trying to come to Jesus on your own power, stop. You can't. You can't do it. You can't think enough. You can't figure enough out. The only way you come to Jesus is to die to self and identify with what we have seen this morning in that baptistry that I am a sinner, the one who can save and forgive. And so from God, and the only thing that I can do with my sin is hand it to the one who can save and forgive. And so God, I give you my sin. And I pray that you would forgive me And the amazing transaction that takes place is that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. So in that moment that we ask for his forgiveness, he forgives us. And in that moment that we ask him to abide in our heart, he abides in our heart. And then he invites us not just once but daily to follow him and experience life to the fullest. And so the rest of the Christian life is not just that moment of salvation and and thinking that, well, one day then when, when I die, that everything will be okay. No, it can be good now because you can experience life to its fullest now. Even in the midst of a broken and dark world and even as a sinner, the more that you learn to give your life every day to Christ and follow the God, the Jesus that's revealed in God's word, not the Jesus that's revealed in our minds, then you will experience life to the full. Jesus has the power to overcome sin and death, not only in his life, but in our life as well. And that's where we have hope. That is not misguided. We have hope in the person and the power of Jesus Christ. And it's the only hope worth having. You see, I want to give you an example of someone who I think gets it. The Apostle Paul um, understood that really the only life that you can have is found in Jesus. So I can find life in Jesus... But I can't really find life on my own. And perhaps you've heard some of these words that Paul's written down. They're, they're all over sports teams. They write them on their shoes or they put them on their eye patches or other stuff like that. Sometimes they write this verse, Philippians 4.13. Everybody anybody ever seen an athlete or somebody kind of write that verse down somewhere? Philippians 4.13, it says this I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe you've heard that out in the culture even or whatever. But I want to I want to show you what goes before that in Scripture. Paul's writing these words in Philippians, and he's writing to the church that has taken care of them, and he's telling them thank you for what they've done. And he comes to this point, and he says this, I don't, I don't say these things to you out of need. For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I found myself. This is a person you should listen to. Amen. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Help me with this. He says, I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm able to do all things in Christ through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret to life. That's the secret to contentment, to die to self, to give it to him, to live in his power, not in our power. And the greatest thing that you can ever do is understand that Jesus died on the cross not to add to your life. Oh, I'm just doing so good on my own, and if I just had a little bit of Jesus, I would do better. No, he came to exchange it. And he said, I'll take whatever life you have, and I will give you the greatest life you could ever have. And you'd be crazy not to accept that exchange.